0: Uh, thank you guys again for being here this morning. It's a pleasure to bring God's Word to you. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. The title of the sermon this morning is God's Work, Our Work. Uh, this is one of my hobby horses. I love to talk about faith and work. I grew up on a farm, so I love to work. Uh, I became a Christian, and ever since then, I have been uh, sort of obsessed with learning how to marry my faith, and my work together. So I'm very excited about teaching this. Uh, I'm taking what was a two-hour seminar at Summer Conference and condensing it down to 30 minutes. So, much more I can say than what I'm going to say in 30 minutes. I, w- I do want to recommend three works to you if you're interested in faith and work. Uh, and I can, I can email these to you if, you if you need me to. But Creed or Chaos by Dorothy Sayers, Every Good Endeavor by Timothy Keller, and Leaf by Niggle by Tolkien. If you're interested in reading about faith and work, read those three things. I think you'll be delighted. I'm going to do something this morning that I don't normally do. I'm not going to read all the sermon text up front because we are going to be taking pieces of Genesis 1-3. through We believe that God's Word is one story and it should be read as one story, but this morning it's just not practical to do so. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive into God's Word. Gracious Father in Heaven, we do thank You so much for the light that surprises us. The light of the Holy Spirit that warms our hearts with love. We come to You this morning and we need that light. You tell us that that light shines to us through Your Word by the Holy Spirit. So I pray that as we get into Your Word, as we look at it, we think about it, we analyze it, we meditate on it, that it would surprise us with the grace of the Gospel and it would surprise us with the renewing power to transform our work. Father, so many of us go to work every day and we have no clue what we're doing. Not just in our vocation, but uh, in, in the aspect of integrating our faith and our work. And so I pray this morning for us, Father, would be the beginning point of understanding how the work of redemption and our work as people here on earth intersect and bring forth Your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, like many of you, I was watching the Olympics and I learned something new while watching the Olympics. I learned that there is synchronized diving. Never knew that was a thing until this week. right? So synchronized diving, it's like normal diving except two people come out onto the platform and they dive together. So I'm watching synchronized diving and uh, it, it was actually really fascinating. The Chinese... The Americans and the Britons and, and somebody else were all competing for the medal spot. It was clear that the Chinese were better. They were amazing. It was like the Chinese and everybody else, every time they did a jump, they would show a side view, and you couldn't even see the other guy because the front guy was so in sync with him. It was amazing. Then you had the Americans in second place, and then you had the Brits battling for third place. Uh, it was great competition. It, sort of everything you love about the Olympics. So in the end, you know, they announce the standings, the Chinese win, the uh, Americans get second, and the Brits get third, and I, as a typical American, am a little bit disappointed. God, like, oh, we got beat. We lost. These guys are celebrating. They're, like, slapping each other, hugging. You know, they're super excited. And so I'm a little bit disappointed. And then we, they go into the interview. They're interviewing the two American divers afterwards. And I was utterly blown away and astounded by the responses of the divers. And what they articulated was such a clear view of integrating your faith and your work that I just want to read the quote to you. I can't say it any better than this. So here's the quote. This is from David Budia, the more experienced diver. He says, In the past, there's been an enormous amount of pressure, and I felt it. It's just been identity crisis. When my mind is on this, and I'm thinking I'm defined by this, that's the diving, then it goes crazy. But we know that our identity is in Christ. And we are so thankful for this opportunity to dive in front of Brazil for the United States. He realized that his identity was in Christ. That even though he was up there diving in front of millions of people, that's not where his identity lied. His identity lied in Christ, in heaven. Then the other other diver says this, I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the results of this competition are. It gave me peace and it gave me ease. It let me enjoy this contest. Now, I don't know who taught them that theology. They must have went to RUF someplace, right? But that is such a clear and beautiful distillation of the Bible's teaching on faith and work and how those two things intersect. They get to the heart of both the problem and the solution of integrating our faith and our work. It comes down to our identities. How we see ourselves in relationship to God and the world. So when most of us go into work, what we think the great struggle is is how to evangelize non-Christians. Or we think the great struggle is how to compete with the secular world, right? It's the the religious versus the non-religious world, and so we feel like our work is sort of this battleground. Or we feel like work is just simply a place where we try to go for six days a week or five days a week and try to live as a normal, good, Christian human being so that God might like us. None of those are the root problem at work. None of those are the root solution at work. The root problem and the root solution at work is finding our identities in Christ, and the person and work of Christ, and letting that transform the way we do everything in our offices. So what I want you to see this morning is that the good news of the gospel is this, that God gives us a new identity that transforms God's work into our work so that our work becomes God's work. The gospel transforms our identity so that God's work becomes our work, and our work becomes God's work. So we're going to look at that through three different sections here of Genesis. Uh, First, we're going to see our work as images of God. Then we're going to see our work as broken images. And then lastly, we will see our work as adopted children. So images of God, broken images, and then adopted children. One of the things that a lot of people miss when they read Genesis 1-3 through is that work is is one of the main themes of the first three chapters of Genesis. People get so caught up about the length of days and uh, and, and the creation and all these other mystical questions. Did Adam have a belly button? That they sort of miss, right? They miss the forest for the trees. Genesis 1 through 3 is about work. And it's about our identities as images of God. So what, is, what does Genesis say about work and our identities? Well, let's look first at Genesis. So we see that God's pinnacle of creation was man. Nothing else was created in his image. Only man and woman were created like him. So that means a lot of things. But one of the things that it means is that we work because God works. Genesis 1 is all about God's work of creating, creating the heavens and the earth in the span of six days, creating the moon and the stars, creating fish and birds, and seas, and oceans, and beautiful people that glorify Him beautifully. He created all those things in the span of six days, and then on the seventh day He rested. And Moses, I think, makes it abundantly clear where the emphasis was in the first six days. If you look at Genesis 2, 1-3, through 3, Moses says work three times. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work, that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of His work that He had done in creation. And so the first thing that we see is that God works. God creates. God creates beautiful, wonderful, powerful things. He created all these things on earth. He set everything that we see today, He set it all in motion. But He didn't just step back. He didn't make this clock set it in motion, then step back. He actually gets intimately involved. He cares for it. And that's what you see in Genesis 2. You see God's work of providence or care. He gets down in the dust. He gets down and dirty with creation. Right? It says uh, in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature." You see God caring for man. You see Him caring for creation. There were certain things that couldn't happen in creation until man was made because man wasn't there to take care of creation. So He was He was caring for man. He was caring for creation. He was showing His providential care for everything. He's like a gardener who comes in and tenderly cares for all of His plants individually so that they can survive. and thrive and flourish what does that mean for us that means that as God's image bearers we work too we do the same type of work that God does we do a work of creating we create things we don't create things out of nothing the way God did but we take the raw materials of creation and we transform them and change them and we bring them under God's rule and authority for his glory Uh, That's what God commissions us to do. If you look at Genesis 1, verse 28. He says, and God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now when we read this, we oftentimes think, well, great, God is blessing marriage and babies. Okay, He is blessing marriage and babies, but that's not only what He's blessing. He's saying that our job as image bearers is to create whole societies, whole cultures of people that work together to glorify Him and enjoy Him, that take all the raw materials of creation and, and change them in such a way as that they glorify God and they sing His praises. That's what He calls us to do, is His image bearers, is to work and create. And not only that, He calls us to Uh, develop it and care for it. If you look back in in Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To lounge around and drink water out of the beautiful rivers? No. To work it and keep it. To work it means to develop it. It means to care for it. It means to, to bring out all of the potential in creation to make it be everything it was created to be. And to keep it is a very tender word. It means to care for it. Like I said, earlier, the way a gardener would care for his tomatoes or his plants. So what does this mean for all of us? This means, because we're created in God's image, that all work is good. That work itself is good, right? We have this sort of idea in our head that work is sort of this bad thing that we do all week long so that we can enjoy the weekend. Or that work is something we do so that we can make money and we can do all the fun stuff. Or that work really isn't that important. What's really important is all the spiritual stuff that we do on Sunday. But that's not what the Bible is saying all. Oh, the Bible is saying that work is important. I mean, God worked for six days and rested on the 7th. And in Exodus, He commands us to work for six days and rest on the 7th. If it wasn't important, I don't think God would command us to do it for six days. So, wor- work is a good thing. And not just one specific type of work, but all work. I would love to go through here with you and just flush out all the different types of work that you could see here. Because um, you can see everything. You can see everything from a gardener getting his hands dirty. You know, agricultural work. Really dirty stuff, right? Dirty jobs. to All the way up to doctors and lawyers, and politicians, nursery workers, janitors, teachers, professors, mothers, wives. Any sort of work that is not inherently sinful is godly work. It's God's work. And when we do it, we are being godlike, and we are being godly people. So all work is God's work. And the last thing we see is that our identity as image bearers is bound up in work. One of the reasons why people struggle so much when they don't have a job or when they're in a job they don't like is because they were created to work. That was their, that's part of our purpose as God's image bearers is to work, is to create, is to create a world that flourishes. So for you and I today, this means that we are being godly and godlike when we engage in any kind of work that promotes human flourishing. If we're promoting human flourishing in a godly and biblical way, then we are being godlike and godly. And it is a wonderful thing that we need to celebrate. I experienced this firsthand whenever I was in Jamaica this spring. My wife and I went to Jamaica for our anniversary. We made it 10 years. Congratulate Sherry on surviving with me for 10 years. And while we were in Jamaica, we, were enjoying, we stayed at uh, a resort. We were enjoying all the benefits of the resort One day, we were walking around, and we saw the workers at the resort shoveling rocks out of a ditch into a little cart. And I looked at Sherry, and I said, what do you think they're doing? And she said, well, there's probably, you know, they're probably cleaning the rocks. I said, why would they dig the rocks out just to clean them? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Nobody just digs up rocks to clean them. I said, I think what they did is there's a broken irrigation line down there, and they've got to pull the rocks out, and they've got to fix the irrigation line. She says, I don't think that's what it is. I think they're going to clean the rocks. So I went over, and I said, hey, man, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah, man, because that's what they say in Jamaica all the time. Yeah, man. I said, why are y'all moving these rocks? He He goes, well, we're going to dig up these rocks. We're going to put them in the cart. We're going to take them back to the shop. We're going to power wash them to make them clean, and then we're going to bring them right back and put them in the ditch. And I said, Why in the world would you do that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And he goes, It's all for you. It's all for you. His work of cleaning rocks was there to serve me so that I could rest from my work of being a pastor. And he was being godly and godlike by washing rocks. What do you do on a daily basis? What is your job? Is it a student? Is it a pilot? Is it a golfer? Uh, A professor? A teacher? A mom? When you're doing that work to serve others for the glory of God, you are being godly and godlike, and you are loving people in that moment. That's the glory of work. That's the beauty of work as God's images. We all know that there's a struggle with work, right? That it's not all... Peaches and cream, it's not all rosy. It's not all glitz and glamour and glorious. Work is hard. Work is a struggle. Work is toil. Uh, We know that we don't always glorify God in our work. We know that we don't always enjoy Him. We know that our work doesn't always bring about the fruit that we want it to bring out. Why is there that struggle with work? It's there because work is also broken, and we're broken images, right? Right? So we're made in the image of God. But we're also broken because of the fall. So that's the second thing we're going to look at. We're going to look at being broken images of God. And you see that happen here in chapter 3. You're probably familiar with it. I think it's interesting that in chapter 2, after God gives Adam and Eve the command to work, notice what He says. Look at 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now theologians call this the covenant of works. This is the initial relationship that God entered into with Adam and Eve. Right? They were to keep this commandment. They could eat of anything in God's good creation except for this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think it's fascinating that their work that was enjoyable And the tree that God forbid were right there side by side. I think it sort of shows that our spiritual work and our physical work are always there together. We can't separate them. They're there together. We know the story, right? So the serpent comes. The serpent is a uh, a sort of mysterious incarnate form of Satan and the devil. He comes, he tempts Eve. Eve then tempts Adam. And Adam and Eve both give in. And Adam eats from the forbidden fruit. He breaks God's law. And at that point, whenever he broke God's law, sin entered the world. This cancerous, polluting force called sin. And it corrupted everything. It corrupted our minds and our hearts. And it corrupted our work. Everything is broken. We're broken. Our work's broken. All of creation is broken. And you see it very clearly in the way that Adam and Eve respond to uh, eating the fruit. Look at verse 7. Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So instead of caring for work, instead of serving creation, what did they do? They manipulated work. Sin causes us to manipulate our work to cover up our shame and our guilt. Sin in our hearts looks at us and says, we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we're not acceptable, and so we look to everything we do around us to cover ourselves up. I've used this quote several times, but it's so good I can't not use it. This is from Madonna in Vogue magazine in the 1990s. Listen to this and ask yourself, does this resonate with me in my work? I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it, and I discover myself a special human being. Then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting, and I find myself out of that again and again, and I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is the horrible fear of being mediocre. That has always been pushing me, pushing me. Even though I've become somebody, I still want to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. What is Madonna doing? She's putting on fig leaves. She has this horrible sense of guilt and shame and inadequacy, and she tries to cover it up with her work. Is that you? Is that what happens when you walk into the office You feel the shadow of your Father standing over you. His disapproval. And so when you sit down at that desk, you try fervently to gain His approval because you feel inadequate. It's a fig leaf. Does that hang over you when you walk into a classroom? You know what you've done. You know it's been bad. You know that you've broken the rules. You know that you've fallen short of God's standard. And you sit down in your classroom and you go, I have to get an A on this test. Otherwise, I'm not a worthwhile human being. It's a fig leaf. Is that how you parent? You look at your kids and you think, everything else around me is chaotic. My whole life's a mess. I've always been a failure, but by golly, I'm going to be a good parent. It's a fig leaf. It's a way that we're trying to cover ourselves for our shame and our guilt. We manipulate creation. We use it. We use our work. uh, And then God curses it. Look in chapter 3, verse 15. I'm sorry, 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So, for the woman, he, she, her, her relationships are cursed. Now, her relationship with her husband and with men is going to have tension and strife and struggle. Now, her relationship with her children is going to bring forth pain. And suffering, And some of you mothers know this all too well. Your work as a mother and as a wife and as a woman is cursed because of sin. Then he curses the man's work. He says in verse 17 to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return." So men, our work is cursed. The earth doesn't bring forth what it should. We go to work, we work hard, we try our best, but we fail. Or we go to work, we work hard, and, and what ends up happening is we end up building our own name. We end up puffing ourselves up. We end up working for our own glory and not for God's glory because our hearts are broken and sinful. And then when we do see the fruit of our labor, it's never enough. Unfortunately, I am never satisfied with my work. Right? I want to be the Chinese divers then some. Like I want to get 100% on everything. And I'm always disappointed and I'm always let down. And I think many of us walk into our offices every day Feeling the weight of the curse and never being satisfied with the fruit of our labors. It's all because this world is broken, as sin has come in, and it's broken us, and it's broken this world, and it's broken all of creation. But thanks be to God that He did not leave us in our sin. He did not leave Adam and Eve in their sin. In chapter 3, we see something amazing. Chapter 1, we see God's work of creating, Chapter 2, we see God's work of providence. In chapter 3, we see God begin His work of redemption and restoring us in our work. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What did God do there? God took some aspect of creation and He made a covering that was suitable for Him. He began the work of redemption. And most scholars would say that this is symbolic of the Old Testament sacrificial system, that it's sort of pointing towards the idea that there has to be a physical sacrifice from this world that is killed to redeem God's people and to restore them as his image bearers. You don't see it all right here, but it plays out throughout the story of the Old Testament. And what you see throughout the Old Testament is God. Is at work redeeming his people, and he's doing it through broken, sinful people. God was at work through Abraham and Sarai. They couldn't give birth to children, they were failed parents Ah, biologically. God miraculously gives them children and makes them the family of many nations, all of his people. God was at work. God was at work with Moses. Moses was a murderer, Moses was a horrible leader, he was a coward. And yet, God used him to bring his people out of Egypt. God was at work at David. Who who was David? God was at work with a little boy who was a shepherd. And he made that shepherd a king. And that king responded by murdering and committing adultery. But God was at work redeeming and restoring his people. He didn't quit there. He didn't give up. God was at work through the prophets. The prophets' lives are marked with pain and suffering. They preached and nobody listened. It would be like me getting up here and preaching right now and everybody just getting up and walking out. But God was at work redeeming His people. God was even at work through pagan kings. If you read the Old Testament, you see that God was at work in these pagan, horrible kings doing things to save His people. God was at work through the work of ordinary men and women like you and I. But none of that worked. It was all preparatory for the work that he had to do through one man, and that was Jesus. And when the time was right, when everything was just how it should be, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, into a trough with the animals. And guess what his job was whenever he grew up? He was a carpenter. God himself came to earth and became a carpenter. Now, why would he become a carpenter? There's a, I don't know the exact reason, but I think one of the reasons is this, that God Himself wanted to enter into the pain and the suffering and the toil of everyday people who get up and go to work and struggle through it. If you struggle in your work, God knows how you feel because He came as a man and became a carpenter. He struggled. He can sympathize with you. He can empathize with you. But in His work, He never sinned. He perfectly fulfilled the commandments in Genesis 1-3 through that we couldn't fulfill. Then, after He finished His work of being a carpenter, guess what He did? He embarked on His work of being a prophet, a priest, and a king. That was his ministry. It was to be a prophet, a priest, and a king in Israel. He did that all for three years, all throughout his earthly ministry. And all of his hard work, all of his perfect work, all of his work that satisfied the law culminated in one thing. Death. And what did he get for all of his work? What was the payment that he got? It was a crown of thorns. What did God tell us that we were going to get for all of our work? Thorns and thistles. But Jesus, even though His work was perfect, even though He never sinned, He took the crown of thorn that we deserve so we have to have the crown of His righteousness. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God. Don't you see that all of your work, all your physical work, has been an outworking of your spiritual work. The underneath there's the physical, there's the physical of us trying to prove ourselves, of us trying to cover ourselves, of us trying to earn God's favor. And Jesus came and did that on the cross. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't get a cross, you don't get a crown of thorns, you get a crown of righteousness. And that crown of righteousness totally transforms our work. It means that God's work on the cross becomes our work and that our work can then begin to work itself out, and it becomes God's work. That transforms our hearts and our minds and it renews us so that when we go into work, we don't go into work as broken images. You know how we go to work? We go to work as adopted children. When you walk into the office, you are not the, the broken, sinful, tarnished image that you feel and think that you are. You are an adopted child of God. That's how those divers could go out and they could dive and try to be perfect. They're going to fall short. What a a better illustration. They're going to fall short. Nobody was going to get a 10 on synchronized diving. But those guys walked up there with the confidence that they were in Christ, knowing that that performance didn't define them, and they gave an effort that glorified God. And the Lord was pleased with it. You are going to go into your work as students, as mothers, fathers, workers, and you are not going to get a 10 but Jesus got a 10 for you. And you are not defined by that work. You are defined by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that allows you to go in there and flourish and enjoy it and do the best you can to glorify God. Uh, that will transform your work. I know it transformed my work. Uh, whenever I was a teacher and a coach uh, many years ago, I was obsessed with being the best coach. I was, this is how silly I was. I was an 8th grade football coach. 8th grade football, like nobody cares about 8th grade football except for moms and dads. And I would stay after practice every day, assembling helmets, putting away pads, working on rosters, doing hours and hours of extra work. Then one day my pastor, uh, he came, he was talking to me, he was pastoring me, and I was telling him about all the work I was doing and how it it was making me tired and it was wearing me out and it was taking away time from my wife and my kids. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I'm just trying to be the best coach I can be. I don't want to leave. I don't. I want to be the last coach to leave the locker room every day. And he said, You know what I want you to do? I want you to be the first coach to leave the locker room every day. Because your performance does not depend on what you do as a coach, it depends on Jesus Christ. And you need to rest in that, and you're not resting in it. So that's what I had to do. Literally, faith and repentance in Jesus look like me being the first coach out of the locker room every single day and not caring what other people thought. the person and work of Jesus allows us to rest in our work it allows us to work hard and be godly at it but allows us to rest if you're not resting then that means that somewhere there's a disconnect between the work of Jesus and your work I will encourage you all I think it's biblical I think it's right to work six days and take the seventh day off rest in the finished work of Jesus college students you're about to go out to school you're about to go into a busy season I think you're going to honor the Lord and rest in Jesus by working six days and taking the seventh day off and going, you know what? I did the best I could in those six days. I'm going to rest in Jesus. Because his work is finished for me on the cross. So God's work uh, transforms the way we work. And I'll tell you what, it transforms the joy in our work. When we understand that we're adopted children of Christ, we realize that we are working side by side with God. This morning I got up to work on my sermon because, yes, Pastors don't always have their sermons finished uh, by Sunday morning. So I got up to work on my sermon and my kids come up and they, uh, they're they seeing me work on my sermon on the kitchen table. And Emory says, hey dad, can I get a computer and can I type too? I said sure. So I got a computer out, uh, the other laptop, I sat up beside me, I opened up a Word doc and she starts typing. Well pretty soon Tucker comes out and he wants to work. And then Francie comes out and she, she wants to work and then after a while it was me trying to work and then... <laughs> Typing away on the computer trying to work like Dad. When you understand that you're an adopted child of God into his family based on the personal work of Jesus, you just love to get beside your father and work. It becomes a joy. It becomes a delight. And not only is not only working side by side with him, but he is working with you and through you. We're about to sing Joy to the World, which is a Christmas song. But one of the reasons why I, picked, I asked Doug to pick Joy to the World is it talks about how Jesus came and He is redeeming everything as far as the curse is found. Wherever you go in your job, in the classroom, on the golf course, at work, in the air, in the doctor's office, at home, the curse is there. And you know how God is redeeming it and restoring it and renewing it? Through your work. Students, you are learning how to be a part of God's rescue mission to drive back the curse wherever you go your classwork was important i'll never forget when i was in college i felt like it was cool to if you're a christian it was cool to be lazy in school and we should be the exact opposite we should be diligent and engaged and excited about our studies because we know that we're learning how to be a part of god's mission and we work hard for six days we take the seventh day off we rest in jesus but the Lord is going to use you and your work to accomplish his mission of redemption. And it's the same for all of us. Everywhere you go, as far as the curse is found, God is using his adopted children to redeem the earth. So let's pray this will be true in our hearts and our minds and that we would take the light and love of Jesus out and redeem everything as far as the curse is found in Christ. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much uh, for the person and work of Jesus the things that He did on the cross. Lord, I pray and I confess, Lord, that we have no clue what it means. It's so hard for us to understand how to, how to bear your image, how to do your work, how to uh, be your adoptive children. But thanks be to God that our standing with You doesn't even depend on our ability to implement this sermon. Our standing with You is built on the personal work of Christ. We thank You for doing that. We pray that that work would transform our hearts and our minds and lead us to go out as Your children and work to bring glory to You, to bring honor to You, and to drive back the curse as far as it is found. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.